Before today's episode, I have to say that there was an announcement that I utterly failed to make until now, but I do want to make it just barely in the nick of time. If you are hearing this episode on or before September 24th, that day is an international day of action on climate change, which you could take part in. This is organized by 350.org, in my opinion, the most powerful and influential and important organization on climate change in the world. For more details and to get information on an event almost certainly happening in your neighborhood, no matter where you live in the world, please visit moving-planet.org. And for further details, you can also skip ahead in this show to my comment section at the end. Now, with that out of the way, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, Counterspin, Countdown, The Young Turks, The Green News Report, The Colbert Report, a listener submission from Harry Mason, NPR, and Ring of Fire with a bonus clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users giving more details on the 350.org event from The Green Scene. This ruling by the Obama administration could take place where they're going to um, continue to embrace the Bush standards for what constitutes clean air. And they're doing this at the cost of literally thousands of lives a year in this country. They're doing it at the cost of, of, of literally billions upon billions of dollars of medical cost borne by the American public. They're doing it at the cost of productivity, the cost of kids suffering with asthma, and they're not even offering a, a, a uh, that the get for the countries that somehow this is going to be economically helpful because there's no evidence to that. This is exclusively for the reason, uh, and it's clear uh, from these articles that show uh, Bill Daly's involvement in this, this is exclusively for the reason, essentially, to gain more money. Uh, this is the money in this country. Uh, when you're talking about the wealth concentration where 1% of the country is controlling 40% of the wealth, they have turned their money into political power, which makes them more money, which gives them more political power. We are stuck in this cycle. Uh, and, and how do people deal with this concept of living in a plutocracy? Well, and, and let me, you know, let, let, let me talk about that, the irony. Let me talk about the issue of risk assessment. Okay, which is something that oftentimes the Republicans, when they, you know, when they look at a certain regulation, say, well, we need to do a risk assessment on that. Well, let's look at this in terms of risk assessment and let's talk about the irony of the, uh, this decision occurring in the same week as the anniversary, the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 attack. The 9-11 attack killed 2,595, or actually 2,977 Americans, or people other than the hijackers. Okay, so under 3,000. One time, we know that ground-level ozone that would be prevented by this rule kills 4,300 Americans every single year, not just once but year after year after year after year. There are 24 million people who suffer asthma attacks at least once a year because of this, and some of them on a weekly or monthly basis. Ground-level ozone, uh, uh, Sam, is not the same. It's the same kind of ozone as the ozone that blocks, that you know helps create, uh, uh, the, uh, um, it helps shield out um, 
or ultraviolet rays when it goes up into the stratosphere. But on hot days, when combined with fuel from automobiles, it stays on the ground, and it stays near the ground where people can breathe it, and it is reactive to human tissue, to any living tissue. We know that. You can show it in labs and petri dishes and animals. That, that's why if you run when you're in a city, if you go on a three-mile jog around the New York City Reservoir, you will be more uh, exhausted than if you were breathing fresh air in the countryside and went on the same three-mile run because your lungs are actually being damaged by the air you inhale. And if it's a hot day when there's a lot of fumes, your lungs actually suffer measurable damage from ground-level ozone. So these rules are designed to get rid of the most damaging ground-level ozone that's causing not just asthmatics, but every American health problems. And there's, as I said, $37 billion in, in health costs to the people of our nation that come from heart attacks and from respiratory failure, you know, from people who are more vulnerable, more vulnerable populations. So we're killing 4,300 Americans every year. If a foreign enemy did that to our country, it would be an act of war. If they put poison, a widespread chemical poison, all over America that was killing 4,300 of us every year, that was making 24 million people suffer asthma attacks, that was causing billions of dollars, close to 40 billion in health effects, we would say this is a chemical attack on our country, and who are these people, and how can we destroy them? And we would spend every penny, we were spending $700 billion a year on our military to deal with foreign enemies who are doing less damage to our country than these utilities. So the utility is making money, and, you know, the foreign enemies, well, you know, they've got some kind of ideology, and, you know, they, 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 they're, they're doing this for, for some, with something they consider an ideal, but these utilities are doing it as, as twisted and perverted as that may seem, I might add, as that may be, as I might add, but these utilities are just doing it for rank greed. They're poisoning us. They don't need this money to stay afloat. They've got $27 billion in profits this year. They can spend some of that money protecting American health. But, you know, so if we really did the kind of risk assessment that Republicans are all, always talking about and saying, what is the real enemy to our values, to our quality of life, to the welfare of our people, to our pursuit of happiness and safety and security in our country? You know, the real target would not be a little group in Afghanistan. It would be people who every day, these giant corporations, who are making themselves rich by destroying American health. This is a chemical attack on the American people, and we've got to start really thinking rationally about this and thinking in terms of true risk assessment. I mean, am I off completely off base by saying this?
in a Friday before the holiday weekend announcement that seemed to stun every environmental group in the country, the White House announced it was rejecting a proposed EPA rule on limiting smog from ground-level ozone. Unfortunately, some of the reporting on Obama's decision did little to clear the air. The main problem was the apparent need for so-called balance. Environmentalists, scientists, and public health advocates supported the rule, but there is another side. As the New York Times put it, business groups and Republicans in Congress say the rule, quote, would cost billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of jobs, close quote. Wow. Is that true? Well, the Times doesn't tell you, but some recent history would suggest that such claims are overblown. Similar alarms were sounded about Clean Air Act rules in the 90s, and the job-destroying regulations didn't actually affect jobs. Another Times article a few days later tried to grapple with these concepts again. This time things were a little better, since readers were actually treated to some of this important background. But the article still felt the need to balance facts with the regulations are killing us political spin, winding up in familiar territory when the Times concluded that, quote, finding a middle ground is difficult, especially in the midst of heated political wrangling over how to cope with the sputtering economy. Businesses are focusing almost entirely on the costs. Environmental groups, meanwhile, tally up the benefits without paying much heed to the costs, close quote. This kind of coverage is spectacularly unhelpful to people who have to live with the results. But it does a tremendous favor to corporate complaints about the burdens of regulations by treating them as if they are serious and substantive. This is actually doing something worse than what George Bush wanted to do. Mm. Remember, what happened was there's a standard, an air pollution standard back in 97. New science came in that said ozone smog was much more dangerous than we thought. You need to strengthen it. Bush proposed a half-assed improvement in the standard, but not where the science says. So environmental groups sued him. Uh, uh, Obama came in and said, hey, you know, you environmental groups, you're right. We will strengthen it. You can drop the suits. Trust us. So what they've done now is say, we're not going to do anything until 2013. They could have, and the American Lung Association said this, they could just institute the Bush standard, which would have reduced uh, air pollution. Not as much as the science says, but better than doing nothing. So for those of you out there, I know trying to say uh, for the first time, yeah, this is worse than what the Bush administration wanted to do on air pollution. The, uh, the president, of course, campaigned. It wasn't his foremost uh, campaign promise, but it was in there, an environmental agenda. In your opinion, is there anything left of it now? Well, you know, the president, uh, you know, I, I just think right now the president is, is winging it or making it up as he goes along. I have no idea, honestly, what, what he stands for. He's done some great stuff. Uh, there was a lot of clean energy stuff in the stimulus. He's doing great on fuel economy standards. But they've made some dreadful decisions on, on, uh, on offshore drilling, on coal leases. It looks like they're going to approve this tar sands pipeline. Yep. So, you know, I, and, and then they, the worst of it is they use the Republican language. I mean, the, the president used this 
this excuse, you know, well, we, we want to end regulatory uncertainty. You know, th that is just another BS. Environmental regulations spur investment and innovation. That's point one. Uh, point two, um, when people get sick, when they get asthma attacks, when they get cardiopulmonary disease, they're less productive. They miss work. It's not just obviously tragic that they get sick, but it's bad for the economy. So that's why, let's remember, strong environmental regulations during the Clinton administration, 20 million jobs created. Uh, Bush-Cheney come in, roll back environmental regulations, the worst job record of any president. Uh, presidency in history. So environmental regulations uh, do not hurt jobs in the economy. They spur innovation. They make workers more productive. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. President Obama uh, is going to be running for re-election, obviously. He's got a lot of concerns. The polling isn't good. Uh, but he's also got a lot of pressure from Republicans, as always, and Washington pundits, etc., lobbyists. So one of the things that they're giving him pressure on is the rules on smog. Now, uh, President Bush had uh, put together uh, lax regulation on smog, and one of the things that President Obama had campaigned on was, hey, we're going to make that much, much stronger. You're going to be shocked to find out that over the weekend, it turns out that President Obama didn't do that. In fact, he went back to standards that are worse than what President Bush did in 2008. He went back to the 97 standards, which are even more lax. So now first, let's uh, tell you what the smog uh, is. For those of you who don't know, it's ground level ozone. It's created when emissions from cars, power and chemical plants, refineries, etc., mixed with the sunlight, and it creates smog. We're all familiar with it, right? But it's also incredibly dangerous to our health. It depends on the amount of smog in the air. So you have to have a reasonable amount. Apparently scientists believe we do not have a reasonable amount in a great number of American cities and it is endangering our health. That's the Environmental Protection Agency scientists talking. So they have proposed this rule, which President Obama campaigned on, which he now absolutely rejects. So, uh, by the way, he'd also promised environmentalists and the American Lung Association, which was getting ready to sue on this, when he came in office, he said, oh, no, 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 T take a load off, man. Take it easy. You don't have to sue. Don't worry. We're going to do it. Of course, I, I'm the Democratic president. Obviously, we'll have new smog standards. Well, it turns out, not so. Now, how did the business community react to this? The right-wing Chamber of Commerce, led by Tom Donahue, said, quote, it is an enormous victory for America's job creators. Now, you know what job creators is. That's a synonym that Republicans and right-wingers use for the rich. So here is this right-wing organization saying, fantastic, an enormous victory for the rich, again delivered by President Obama. How can we thank you enough? Well, how about we spend hundreds of millions trying to get you defeated?
<laughs> oh, but I'm sure the Chamber of Commerce, after this enormous victory, will back off of President Obama, right? They won't spend the money that they did in 2010 defeating Democrats, right? Right? Of course not. But Obama does it anyway. Here's how uh, the Associated Press uh, summarized uh, why Obama made this decision. Quote, White House officials said the president's decision was not the product of industry pressure. And they said the administration would continue to fight other efforts by Republicans to dismantle the EPA's authority. <laughs> when they say that it is not uh, <laughs> because of Republican pressure and industry pressure, that means it's because of Republican in and industry pressure. Second of all, Obama says after this major issue, environmentalists cared about this maybe more than any other issue that was in front of President Obama right now, right? He says, don't worry, later I will fight other Republican efforts to dismantle the EPA. Are you not merciful? Now, why did he do this? Well, even the EPA scientists say that these regulations will cost $90 billion a year extra. Now, as soon as I read that, I thought, <laughs> game over, end of this. There's no way Obama's gonna do that. So, now you have to understand something. We pay that cost anyway. That goes towards us having deteriorating health in all these different cities, and then us having to pay the bills for that, whether it's medical bills or everything else. It's just the industry transferring the cost onto all of us. But for Obama to make industry pay $90 billion a year, those business groups that finance the Democratic and Republican parties and his own reelection, for him to make them pay, pay what they actually owe so that we can actually have cleaner air? <laughs> President Obama, have you been paying attention? It is inconceivable that he would do that and of course he didn't here's the final quote from President Obama on the issue he says uh, I will continue to stand with the hard-working men and women at the EPA as they strive every day to hold polluters accountable and protect our families from harmful harmful pollution that is of course except for what I just did <laughs> yeah, after this enormous yet another betrayal of the environmental movement and the EPA and his own scientists and doing exactly what Bush did, ignoring the scientists and actually setting standards that are worse than Bush's. Uh, but trust me, later I'll be a good guy. Later I'll be a progressive. Later I'll be a Democrat. You can just trust me that I'll stand with the good, hardworking people of this country and the EPA at a later time. <laughs> have, how often have you heard that and how sick of it are you? I know I'm damn sick of it. And then this guy's running for re-election and wants progressives to vote for. Well, he's got a funny way of showing it. So show me what I'm looking for. Okay, Des, this just in, in the wake of this week's Republican debate out here in California, Texas governor, Republican presidential frontrunner, and climate change denier Rick Perry is apparently due a big congratulations. 
as his state, the great state of Texas, is now on the record as having the hottest summer ever in the United States. That's for any state in the Union, Des. So congratulations to Governor Perry, I guess. Yes, and that's not all for the extreme weather. At least three people are dead, and 120,000 have been evacuated in Pennsylvania and New York due to more historic flooding from the remnants of Tropical Storm Lee. But hey, climate science is a hoax if you listen to the entertaining political theater that was on display at Wednesday's latest Republican presidential debate. But more on Republican climate change denial in a moment. Our top story, Brad ignited a firestorm in New Jersey this week with the release of exclusive audio tapes secretly recorded at the latest Billionaire Koch Brothers strategy seminar in Vail, Colorado in June. The Billionaire Koch Brothers are the oil and chemical industrialists who fund the climate change denial industry and astroturf groups like Americans for Prosperity. The secret tapes reveal that New Jersey's Republican Governor Chris Christie secretly met with billionaire oil man David Koch not long before withdrawing New Jersey from from the Northeast's Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, a cap-and-trade agreement to cut emissions and invest in clean energy that is a direct threat to the Koch's business. David Koch and the billionaire Titans attending the seminar applauded the move. It would have raised energy costs, reduced economic growth, and led to very little, if any, benefit for the environment. In fact, PolitiFact discovered that the cost of staying in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI, would cost New Jersey families approximately 42 cents per month. So it wouldn't really have cost the voters of New Jersey that much. On the other hand, it might have cost David Koch and his Koch Industries a great deal. And today, AP is following up on our leaked secret tapes from that co-conference, and they're quoting environmentalists as charging that this tape is the, quote, smoking gun, proving that Chris Christie has been in bed with the Koch brothers all along. Chris Christie's people, while acknowledging that he did secretly meet with David Koch several months ago and at his political strategy meeting in Vail in late June, say that his decision to pull out of the Greenhouse Gas Initiative had nothing to do with his meetings with the Koch brothers. You can hear the complete tapes and transcripts at bradblog.com. Looks like you've caused some trouble this week. I do my best. Entertaining political theater on display at Wednesday's latest Republican presidential debate. Frontrunner Governor Rick Perry's home state of Texas is still burning in the worst fire season in state history with over 1,600 homes destroyed in just a few days. But in Wednesday's debate, Perry doubled down on his claim that the science is not settled on climate change and refused to answer when pressed about where he gets that information. Which scientists have you found most credible on this subject? Well, I do agree that uh, there is, the science is, is not settled on this. Are there specific, specific scientists or specific theories that you found especially compelling as you've educated yourself? Let me tell you what I find compelling is what we've done in the state of Texas using our ability to regulate our clean air. We cleaned up our air in the state of Texas more than any other state in the nation during the decade. In other words, Rick Perry hasn't talked to any scientists before coming to his, quote, scientific conclusion about climate change. And the reason Texas air quality improved is because they were forced to do so by federal law and had the dirtiest air to start with. Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. 
If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. Please, 50 years from now, we'll all be using solar power. Polar bears, how long can you tread water? Please welcome Daniel Jurgen. Hey, Mr. Jurgen, thanks so much for coming on. All right, sir, you, you, you're one of the most influential voices in the world of energy, and your new book is called The Quest energy security and the remaking of the modern world okay will we remake the modern world with new fuels or new forms because there's plenty of oil out there isn't there well there is oil we're not running out of oil people talk about peak oil and say that it's going to run out but in fact we've run out of oil at least five times the first time was in the 1880s and now here we are uh, in the 21st century so if, we, if there's plenty of oil why would we change the game? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because what's happening in the rest of the world, one tends to just think about the United States, but you look I around. Do. I, I know you do. <laughs> and that's, but you've got to look beyond our borders. And if you look, for instance, the country of China, mm. that's where demand is really growing. In this country, our demand for oil is actually going to go down because we have more efficient cars, because the population is aging, a whole bunch of reasons. If our demand for oil is going down, and there is uh, a lot of oil in the world, right? There's a lot of oil out there. There's a lot of oil. Okay, of course you why is to... it so expensive? Uh, because costs of, of developing it have gone up, and also because you have this whole new demand. In 2004, the general view was oil would be $20 a barrel forever. Now we see it's around $100 a so barrel. So we're never going to get back to dollar gasoline? Because I used to love having those, you know, gas hose fights. I know, but but if you correct it for inflation, you'd find that dollar gasoline was actually not a lot cheaper than the gasoline prices today. But we are around three dollars and sixty cents. Uh, but there, the world is energy demand is going to grow thirty or forty percent. So we're going to need oil, but we're also going to need all these other energy sources, some of which are new. Like, what, what is it going to be? Is it going to be wind? Well, wind, which was you know kind of a freaky thing in the 1980s, uh, today is 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 a kind of conventional part of the electricity supply now. But eventually, we could run out of wind, <laughs> or it would slow the planet down. All well, those pinwheels. Well, we have. They're like brakes. They're like putting your hand out a car window. Yeah. Eventually, it stops the car. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, it, it, it is true. I, I haven't heard much about peak wind, but I guess there is that threat that we have to worry about. And the other thing, longer term, is of course solar power. Really, solar power isn't that just kind of hippy dippy dreaming? Solar power. Jimmy Carter put in solar panels in the White House, and Reagan had them ripped out immediately, well, which was clearly the yes, right thing to do. Well. 
we go through generations. Let's put it this way. It's a very long, long lead time. Solar power really began when Albert Einstein, in his spare time in 1905, wrote a paper that he got a, a Nobel Prize for about describing it. It took to the 1950s to start turning it into a technology and putting it on satellites. By the 1980s, Carter was putting it, or 70s, on the White House, and people who were growing marijuana were also using it as a way to uh, disconnect from the electric power system so no one would know they were using electricity. But now it's a, it's a viable... It's, a, it's another growing industry, still s small. So you admit solar power is a, is a, is a dope dream. <laughs> In the 1980s, it was very popular for... for, for but again, how are we going to get all that sun? Who's going to drill for that? Well, fortunately, the sun is a, normally get, rises in the morning and we'll be able to... Yeah, to but that's it. for now. Yes. <laughs> what about fracking? I hear a lot about fracking. And, and some people are very upset about shooting high-pressure uh, hot water and chemicals uh, into the ground and exploding rocks. Well, this has actually been used since 1949, and some of the gasoline that you're putting in your car is a result of people using fracking. Okay. It's now being used, in, you know, shale gas is a big thing that's developed. Right, and people get upset because, you know, in the areas where they drill, sometimes the water turns flammable. But these days, mostly we brush our teeth with Mountain Dew anyway, well, so it I, doesn't really matter. I would say that... Uh, Let's get the whole picture. I'm on this commission that uh, for President Obama that was specifically charged to look at the environmental questions around shale gas and came to the conclusion that there are issues that have to be managed about water and about air, has to be done in an environmentally proper way, also in terms of uh, community impact. But with that said, these are all manageable. And the other side is that we would be, it's now 30% of our natural gas is, is from shale gas. We would be importing huge amounts of natural gas from countries in the Middle East and Nigeria and Angola and tens and tens of billions of dollars and we're creating a lot of jobs so if it's done in the right way it's a tremendous resource for this country and indeed makes us stronger as a country. So my takeaway from this is that we are not running out of oil. <laughs> right. right. But and but based upon say, your 800 say, but, page but, book but, but, I guess we're not running out of trees right. either. But let me say... <laughs> Well, first of all, wait, first, first. How about, I'm sorry, we have reached peak interview. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Daniel Jurgen, the book is The Quest. We'll be right back. Climate change is dull. What do you think about when you think of climate change? Do you think about the average temperatures, the statistics that are currently available about certain climates? Do you think about people on TV telling you about climate change, about the impact it's had? Do you think about certain experts, maybe Bill McKibben or Tim DeChristopher? Maybe you think about climate activists 
or about green energy? There's even a slim chance you'll think of the actual science behind it, or a simplification of the actual science at least. This, I'm afraid to say, is fairly dull. You see, the actual science relies on huge swathes of data, on countless studies and reviews. It relies on scientists who spent their entire lives working on this, and who have spent so many hours, so many days, working to fill any gaps in the theory that is climate change. And I could argue with this science with you, and possibly put up a fairly decent fight. But then it would just be dull, and you wouldn't really listen or understand that much of it. And this is a problem. You see, climate change is real. And this is very dangerous. And we need to fight it, and we need to change the argument into things people can't argue with. So, here's some ideas about how we can tackle this. Solar power is awesome. And I mean, just think about this for a second. With solar powers, we're using fairly basic ideas to literally harness the power of the sun. We have a sun that is so many thousands of times the size of the USA, of our Earth. And the sun has a core body temperature which is 50,000 times your own. And yet, we've tamed it. And we use it for the most menial tasks we can think of. And being humans, we can think of some fairly menial tasks to make electricity do. Then there's the mad scientist-like aspect of wind energy. We can literally harness the power of the wind. Imagine, for a second, a mad scientist shouting, shouting across the fields that he's managed to harness the power of the wind. That he can show you contraptions which are 80 metres high with blades that move 10 times faster than a human being can run. And he will seem infinitely scary. And yet, this is reality. We also use rivers, the ocean, the heat from the centre of the earth to meet our means. Seriously, if I had lightning, we would have the entirety of the mad scientist collection here. Then there's the alternative benefits. The fact, if we had a vegetarian meal, or we cycled to work once a week, we would be so much healthier. If we stopped using coal, we would have fewer kids with asthma. If we stopped drilling into mountains, we wouldn't have to blast them apart and chemically poison streams. We would have scenery to enjoy if we hadn't cut down sieves of forest. And we would have a more athletic world. We would have such a joyous place that we would save money on healthcare for one thing, but we would just be better as a species. We'd probably be in fewer wars. And I won't say we wouldn't be in any, because that would be to underestimate the war lust of certain nations which shan't be mentioned. But they would have less justification and less inclination. And that has to count for something. We wouldn't be dying at the rate we are. Climate change kills living people. And some of you may think this doesn't concern me, it doesn't really happen in my neighbourhood. But I want you to think of some inspirational people you know, some artists, some songwriters, some musicians, some frisbee players, some storytellers, 
God forbid, even some politicians. And then your family. People are worth fighting for. And we need to get together and fight climate change for that. And finally, we'd be able to see the stars more clearly at night. We could see galaxies were it not for this smog that envelops, engulfs and suffocates us. In certain places, cars produced exhaust, produce exhaust fumes which are cleaner than the air. Without this, we'd be able to see each other and appreciate the world we have and really, really get inspiration from it. We are in a war, not against the earth. On that account, the earth is winning and comfortably. But away, the argument is framed. Climate change is real and we need to act now. Not because anyone says so, or because necessarily because the science points to it, but because life would be amazing if we acted. Speaking of spending billions for big oil, building this pipeline will keep America addicted to oil. And while it might be a good idea for Coke Industries, which supplies and refines large volumes of Canadian tar sands oil, it is a bad deal for our country. That was Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont calling on President Obama to deny approval of the proposed Keystone XL oil pipeline that would transport heavy crude oil from the tar sands of Canada 2,000 miles across Midwest farmlands, rivers, and aquifers to the Gulf of Mexico. Canada is lobbying hard for the chance to make billions more dollars off of our oil addiction. So the folks at 350.org are organizing some lobbying, too, right in front of the White House over the next two weeks. By the way, the pipeline company that's behind the Keystone Project, TransCanada, had 12 pipeline spills in the U.S. in just the last year, all on the same new pipeline. But don't worry, they say the Keystone Pipeline will be the safest in the U.S. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Say 
in Washington, D.C. today, I think there are more protesters. Actually, I mean, this is civil disobedience. We're going to see more people get themselves arrested peacefully. They seem to be, you know, the most mild-mannered. If you saw these people at your local supermarket, uh, at the uh, your local um, Lowe's, going, picking out, gar I mean, the video is up. They are protesting and sending a message to President Obama who has the ability to stop this Keystone Pipeline from the tar sands in Alberta, Canada, down to the Gulf of Mexico. People are, have a problem with this because the first Keystone uh, Pipeline has already leaked, I think, over, I mean, multiple times over the past year. Certainly over a dozen times. It's polluted one river, is my understanding. This is even worse on two levels. One, because the, the material that will flow through this pipeline is not a pure oil. It is incredibly viscous. It is incredibly corrosive. It needs to be heated through the entire pipeline so that it will flow through and not jam up. So there is the sort of immediate practical dangers. But as Bill McKibben, who came on this program two weeks ago to uh, and announced that there would be this movement to get arrested, and as uh, Dave Roberts from Grist also explained to us, the real issue here is that NASA scientists have said that this, if this carbon deposit is tapped and depleted because it is the second largest concentration of carbon of CO2 or of carbon I should say which would create CO2 gases in the world after the Saudi uh, oil, mine, uh, oil fields that this would represent essentially game over in terms of climate change that there is no turning back once you tap and burn this. President Obama, because there must be explicit authorization uh, from the president, must sign off on this because it is a pipeline that crosses the U.S.-Canada border. By doing nothing, he could kill this. By doing nothing. Didn't he say something about the planet is going to be cleaner or no longer going to be warming at the rate once he was uh, inaugurated? I accept on some level that he does not have full responsibility, or if you want, even the majority of responsibility for not getting any climate change regulation passed. I accept the fact that there are whack-a-job uh, Republicans in the Congress who are constantly attacking the EPA. But you cannot, you cannot defend the president if he signs off on this. There is no defense for it. None.
None. Sorry. Tweet me all you want. There's just no defense for it. And the cops, meanwhile, are... Um, well, here's Bill McKibben's statement from jail. Hello, everyone. We don't need sympathy. We need company. It's clear to us that the police were hoping to deter this action, and it's equally clear to us the opposite will be the result. Apparently, the standard operating procedure in situations like this, because this happens uh, not all the time, but with some... It's not a, you know, this is not a completely earth-shattering occasion where people get themselves arrested uh, in front of the White House. And uh, 350.org organizers have been talking to the Capitol Police, uh, not, excuse me, not the Capitol Police, um, the Park Police, uh, for weeks about this action. Generally what happens is they, um, they arrest you, they give you a $100 ticket, and then they release you. That's what's happened uh, in the anti-war protest in, uh, I think it was December, that Mike uh, Malloy was involved in. Another one, uh, or maybe it was March, uh, on behalf of Bradley Manning. I think it was in March when Malloy got arrested. And in this instance, because it was at the beginning of this wave of arrests that are planned of civil disobedience, they're holding the majority of the people in these tiny cells for two days, from Saturday to Monday, as a way of discouraging people from uh, doing this in the future. I don't think that's going to work. Good luck to them. I hope it brings more attention to this. You can go to tarsandsaction.org, tarsandsaction.org. Over 250 people have now been arrested since Saturday for peacefully protesting in front of the White House. The protesters, organized by TarsansAction.org, are demanding that President Obama deny approval of the proposed Keystone XL oil pipeline from Canada to Texas. Activist and author Bill McKibben explained that it's more than just the threat of spills at stake in an interview on Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Those tar sands of Canada are the second largest pool of carbon on Earth, only after the Saudi Arabian oil fields. If we produce the same volume of oil from Canada, then as Jim Hansen at NASA, our leading climate scientist, put it not long ago, it will be essentially game over for the climate. The notion that they can stop this pipeline while it seems a long shot, that's one thing. The notion that they can stop the burning of this carbon, Des, is that really realistic? The oil is there, someone is going to burn it. But they feel like they have to try. Good luck. Doesn't know what you've done. 
I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Dozens of environmental activists showed up in front of the White House today. They were there to be heard and to get arrested. It was part of an ongoing peaceful protest against a proposed oil pipeline that would cut across the American Midwest. Organizers say that over the past 10 days, about 800 people have been handcuffed and bussed off to a police station. NPR's Richard Harris has the story. At issue here, it's a proposed pipeline which would connect oil resources in Alberta, Canada, to refineries on the Texas coast. The 1,700-mile-long Keystone XL, as it's called, would help our friendly northern neighbor expand development of one of the largest but dirtiest sources of oil on the planet. It's bound up in hardened formations called tar sands, and it's not easy to extract. The Obama administration says it will decide by the end of the year whether to approve this pipeline. So environmental groups are making that decision a test of the administration's resolve to move away from fossil fuels and toward cleaner sources of energy. Hello! That's why. Hello! Can everyone hear me? Yes! And that's where the White House protests come in. We're trying to send a message to Barack Obama and America that we got to get off the dirty energy treadmill because catastrophe is looming if we don't. Jim Sconyers came in from West Virginia today to take part in the protest. The 67-year-old has $100 in his pocket, the fine he expects to pay once he gets arrested at the highly choreographed sit-in. He says tar sands are much worse for the environment than what we pump out of the ground elsewhere. Oh, my God, it's uh, tremendously dirtier. Tar sands get cooked with natural gas burners to liberate the oil, so producing the oil adds emissions to the atmosphere. Liz Barrett-Brown from the Natural Resources Defense Council says emissions from producing oil for the Keystone XL pipeline would be about the same as building seven new coal-fired power plants. So when you think about bringing a pipeline in that is the equivalent of seven new plants, I actually think that's quite significant. Of course, the Earth's fate doesn't hinge on the emissions equivalent to a few additional coal plants, but activist Bill McKibben, who helped organize this protest, isn't just thinking about what the Keystone XL pipeline would deliver. He's concerned that if the pipeline goes ahead, the oil sands industry would really take off and exploit the vast Canadian deposits. This pipeline is a bad idea. The tar sands at the far end of it are the second biggest pool of carbon on Earth, and if we burn them, if we burn them in a big way, as NASA's Jim Hansen said, it's essentially game over for the climate. For McKibben, this really is the moment of truth, akin to what Brazil did 15 years ago when it took serious steps to preserve the Amazon rainforest. That was a unique biological treasure. North America has a unique geological treasure, this tar sands formation. Why don't we have the same kind of responsibility to the world to just keep that oil in the ground? And there's another reason environmental activists have galvanized around this issue, the politics of the moment. 
Courtney Height says she campaigned for Obama in 2008, worked for him after the election, and she's putting her hope in him now. This is an opportunity where the president can make the decision and he doesn't actually have to engage Congress, um, which has been a particular roadblock in a lot of the progress that I think the president has tried to make. Um, this is a chance where he can actually make the decision. Imagine what it would be like for us to be able to be the first country to make solar power cheaper than coal. Imagine a city full of buildings that are able to produce all the energy they consume. Imagine Vice President Joe Biden speaking in Vegas this week at the National Clean Energy Summit, again calling for boosting the federal investment in clean energy innovation and infrastructure. A lot of this stuff you don't have to imagine. A lot of this stuff is literally around the corner. The federal government is inviting seed money right now to attract private capital to continue the research in these areas. Also speaking at the Clean Energy Summit was the military. Navy Secretary Ray Mabus has set an ambitious goal for the Navy to get 50% of its energy from renewable sources by 2020. In an interview with ClimateProgress.org, Secretary Mabus explained that the U.S. military is actively pursuing renewable sources, not just because of the extreme vulnerability of fuel deliveries to troops in the field, and not just because oil dependence is a national security issue, but also because the Department of Defense sees the long-term threat of global instability due to climate change. As sea levels rise, uh, some developing countries that are right along the coast could be destabilized. So our responsibilities, our concerns have to be tied in to the effects of climate change. However, amid all the discussion about clean energy at the National Clean Energy Summit, at an interview with Energy Now, Energy Secretary Stephen Chu indicated that the controversial proposed transcontinental Keystone XL oil pipeline appears to be sailing toward final approval from the State Department because, Chu says, oil from Canada beats oil from the Middle East. It's one of those things. It's, 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 it's not perfect, but it's a trade-off. So we need clean energy except for all that dirty, dirty, dirty energy that the Obama administration is about to approve. Exactly. Climate scientists have called on the Obama administration to deny approval of the pipeline. A major civil disobedience protest in front of the White House against the pipeline continues through Saturday, organized by TarSandsAction.org. A public comment period will open up soon as well. Make your voice heard. We have the links at our website, greennews.bradblog.com.
you know, unfortunately, um, Canada has uh, been in the news, at least environmentally speaking. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the Keystone XL pipeline, which by all reckoning, it looks like President Obama will will not be maintaining his pledge at this point to make sure that our skies uh, are clean and our 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 globe uh, you know is not our earth is not is not warming by signing off as uh, people are anticipating he very well may do on allowing for this uh, pipeline to take this incredibly corrosive and viscous oil product, I guess I should say, carbon-based product from the tar sands, send it all the way down to Texas, despite the fact you've had uh, over a thousand people, including um, some of his uh, top scientists, uh, one of his uh, fundraisers from 2008, get arrested out in front of the White House. It looks like that's going forward. And of course, this is also uh, a decision that will be coming on the heels of his decision to roll back the standards of what can be released into the atmosphere in terms of ozone emissions, basically embracing the George Bush standard. Right. Uh, And those are two big issues. You know, Mike Brun is a friend of mine who's now the new head of Sierra Club, said that Obama is really going to face an enthusiasm deficit in the next election. It was, you know, Sierra Club is particularly important for politicians because Sierra Club got out of the 501c3 game a couple of decades ago. If you're a charitable organization like NRDC or like Riverkeeper, uh, you're not allowed to participate in political campaigns. You can take money and people can take a tax deduction on it. Sierra Club made a different strategy. They said, we are going to participate in political campaigns, and therefore, if you contribute to Sierra Club, it's not a tax-deductible contribution. But it gives them a lot of power to and a lot of clout. They can deploy tens of thousands of workers in these political campaigns, and that's exactly what they do, and they're very, very effective. And although... And Sierra Club works very, you know, closely with NRDC on policy issues, but they have this muscle in the political realm. And all of the groups, virtually every group in the country, has now signed on to a petition in the last week asking President Obama to reject the Keystone Pipeline. We're having the largest public demonstrations in American history, really, since on environmental issues since Earth Day. There's been a couple of hundred people arrested in front of the White House, and the issue is an important one. The tar sands, as you know, Sam, come from mainly from northern Alberta, and there it's a it's a kind of uh, a shale-like material that is just below the surface of the earth. But it and there's oil locked in it, but the oil is dried and hard, and it's not. It's like dried tar. It's almost like asphalt. The consistency of this material. To get the oil out of it, they have to heat it up to tremendous heats, and in order to do that, they have to use five or six barrels of oil worth of energy to extract a single barrel of oil of liquid fuel. Then they're going to, and they're, they create these huge lakes of toxic byproducts, and we have films of tens of thousands of Canada geese and of other migratory birds, snow geese, and, and the, these vast migrations that come down from the tundra every year. 
They see these huge lakes. They can't tell that it's toxic oil. They land in them. They die immediately. And they're tearing up the boreal forest. They're destroying the lands of native people. And they're contaminating some of the richest salmon streams in the world. And um, they're now saying that they're going to build either a giant coal plant or a giant nuke plant up in northern Alberta just to provide the heat to extract that oil from the shale. So when you add all of these different inputs, the amount of carbon that is released from in order to produce every barrel of oil makes this the most carbon-intensive fuel now on Earth. And the only way that this can go through is if President Obama says they can build, that the Canadians can build a 2,000-mile pipeline across Nebraska, across a lot of the United States, down into the Gulf and Texas. We have Texas landowners, Texas ranchers, Nebraska ranchers who are virtually unanimously against this project. Um, we have people all the way from the Canadian border to the Mexican border that are opposing this project as citizens, environmentalists, people who are concerned with their communities. And, uh, and it's really, if, if they do this, we can kiss any kind of program against global warming goodbye this is going the opposite direction of where we ought to be going and it appears although president obama was adamant that he would reject this pipeline during the election he's now it looks like he's going to go through with it Thanks for listening, everyone. God, this is embarrassing. And I, you know, it's maybe it's reasonable and I have the same excuses always, but I should really learn to get over it. Uh, by the very nature of this show, you know, the, the, the whole show is retrospective by its nature, which makes me retrospective by my nature and how I perceive the political landscape. And I simply don't do a very good job of foresight. I just don't do it. But how many months ago would you guess I started thinking about how I should begin promoting September 24th, International Day of Climate Change? Well, the answer is uh, more than three and less than nine, but like a lot. And uh, more specifically, the person who you're about to hear from, I, I met originally in June in uh, at Netroots Nation, and we specifically talked about how uh, I needed to start promoting uh, the 350.org event on September 24th. It's ridiculous that I haven't until, you know, because it's like, oh, that's that's a long ways away. Oh, that's still a pretty decently uh, long ways away. Yeah, well, I still have time on the, oh my God, it's tomorrow. So Molly Haig is the U.S. Communications Director for 350.org and a close personal friend of mine. I met her at Netroots Nation. She uh, very, very quickly became one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, this is an interview, you know, a snippet of an interview she did, and she'll explain in detail what is going on on September 24th and uh, why you should get involved and how easy it is and fun and all those sorts of things. So take a listen. So tell us now what 350.org is spearheading in the form of um, this uh, upcoming Moving Planet event. 
Yes, um, really exciting, actually. On September 24th, hundreds of thousands of activists, grassroots activists from across the world are coming together, flexing literal muscle um, on bike rides from five hours to five, to 350 hours um, on bike rallies across the world calling for a fossil fuel-free world. And those are, some, those are some words you haven't heard come up for a long time, but the Tarsians protest with Daryl Hannah with so many people standing up in the last couple of months. I think this is really a moment for us to stand up and talk about solutions to climate change at every level of government and, you know, also an opportunity for elected officials to get in front of a constituency who wants to see this happen, who's engaged, who's ready, who's willing to put their own muscles on the line using fossil fuel-free transportation. This should be really exciting. And, and Daryl Hannah being arrested made an, for a nice photo op, but uh, it's also, you know, the likes of Dr. James Hansen, NASA's climate scientist, that is so dramatic because this is a scientist being so arrested. The man who, the man who early on, several decades ago, went to Congress, uh, you know, along with uh, Al Gore earlier, to try to sound a warning, and he's now having to, it says a lot, that he's having to be arrested outside the White House because he cannot, he cannot get the attention that he and his fellow climate scientists deserve. I mean, I think that it's, it speaks to how little interest we have in science-based, how little interest Congress has in science-based solutions. Um, and, and it's silly. And everyday people, we realize that. And what's really exciting about Moving Planet this year is the partnerships just across the spectrum, from business leaders to women's groups and human rights groups, um, from, you know, bike co-ops to public transportation advocates, just across the board, all sorts of people coming on board. And Faith partnerships especially have just been overwhelming. We had one pastor in Minneapolis who actually went out and raised $7,000 to hire an organizer for his city by talking to his congregants one at a time. Is this going to be another worldwide event, and, and how do you go about organizing such a massive undertaking? <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great question. Um, it is a worldwide event. Um, the 350-hour bike ride that I just mentioned is actually happening in Indonesia. They'll be riding their bicycles for 350 hours. I hope that's a to moving planet. <laughs> very intense and uh, and very exciting. I'll probably be on a slightly longer ride, a slightly shorter ride myself that day. Good for you. <laughs> well, for them. I think but you'll be needed uh, as a communications coordinator. You need to tell us what's yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, how do you spark something like this? Really, you know, 350.org is. It's not just a membership organization. It's something that people aspire to who aren't necessarily a part of it. You know, we put out the call, but it's really individuals and communities across the world, you say, you know, who who want to see this, who believe in this so deeply that they work for it every day of the year. And when we tell them, you know, this is the moment, people really just rise up and do it themselves. They call their neighbors. They call their, you know, neighboring towns. We have, you know, a very skeletal crew here at 350. Um, it's really the volunteers across the world that do it. And last year, um, the big event was ten, ten, ten. How many people took part, and what were some of the highlights from that? Uh, also, worldwide, you know, uh, protest or activism. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was probably one of the largest rallies to ever call for action on climate change, um, and we had thousands of events. I think upwards of five thousand across the world last year. Um, all sorts of highlights: people putting solar panels on houses, um, getting to work on community gardens. Recently, I was in Cincinnati doing a training for some of our organizers there, and they took me on a tour of the community garden that they had built last year on 10-10-10. Something really exciting about that event was that there's actual physical evidence of it this year as you go around community to community of new solar panels, new gardens um, across the world, which is really exciting. How can people participate uh, uh, in the 
Moving Planet event, September 24th, Molly. Yeah, well, I would I would first say just a word to the Climate Reality Project that, you know, that's going to be a massive worldwide day of education, which we're all helping And then following that is the massive worldwide day of action with Moving Planet. And to find out more about it, you can go to moving-planet.org or 350.org. We've got a map that you can pull up and you can just literally zoom into your city or type in your town and we'll tell you the closest events to you all over the world. And, and where did the name Moving Planet come from? I know Bill McKibben in his last book, uh, I believe it was his last one, he spelled Earth, E-A-A-R-T-H, to signify that Earth as we have known it, it has already changed. Uh, moving Planet, does that mean that things are shifting uh, climatically? Yeah. Or- that's what yeah, I would it think. is that we're all literally going to be moving at the same time, hundreds of thousands of people using our muscles and fossil fuel-free transportation um, to symbolize the movement that we want to see on climate change. So from bikes, as I said, kayaks, unicycles, different events all across the world have different, different ways of doing it, but we're all going to be moving without fossil fuels for one day. So now the real tragedy of this episode is that I'm betting a lot of you heard that and were in, like, inspired and want to go take action, want to be a part of that, but... The vast majority of people who just heard it aren't going to have heard it in time, and that's completely my fault. And so the best I can do is, uh, well, attempt to do better next time, but if history is any prelude to the future, I'm probably not going to do that good of a job. So what you should do is just go to 350.org and sign up and get uh, you know emails and, and notifications from them directly so you actually know what's going on in the world before it happens instead of just hearing about everything after it happens from me. Now, a funny side note on that is uh, the person we just heard interviewed, Molly, uh, as I mentioned, I met her at Netroots Nation, and uh, and I just heard a funny story from her. So as part of her capacity as a you know, staffer at 350.org, she was conducting a training of some sort. I didn't even get the details. And she actually quoted me. She quoted something that not, not only have I said on the show, but that I think I said to her in person about how you know, in in any capacity of organizing, you have to be willing to discard the good in favor of the great. You know, you have to make room for the really great ideas by saying no to good ones. And so she quoted me to her um, students or, you know, trainees or whoever they were exactly. And she said something, some vague description of who I was and maybe my name and maybe some mention of the show or, or something like that. And someone raised their hand and said, wait, you, you know Jay Tomlinson? And so she passed that on to me and we both definitely got a kick out of it. And, uh, and yes, I can confirm Molly is actually honored enough to, uh, to know me in real life. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's that story. So now I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. William H. signed up for a uh, leftist membership, paid for a full year in advance back on September 15th of last year and just renewed, uh, sticking with the show for another year. So huge thanks to William. And Leopold L. signed up for a socialist monthly membership going a little bit above and beyond uh, the the minimum donation. Uh, Signed up back on November 12th and has also stuck with the show ever since then. So huge thanks to Leopold and William and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. Share individual uh, clips, uh, whatever ones were your favorites from this episode. Go to uh, the blog at bestoftheleft.com and click the share links to share uh, your favorites with your friends and family and enemies. 
You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and even donating your Facebook and Twitter accounts, which is enormously helpful to us. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor